This episode of the PC Perspective Podcast is brought to you by KiwiCo. Change the way your kid plays with KiwiCo. Visit kiwico.com slash pcper to get your first crate free. That's k-i-w-i-c-o dot com slash pcper. Welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. Uh, this is episode 537 being recorded Wednesday, March 20th, 2019. I'm Jim Tannis. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Josh Walrath. I'm Sebastian Peake. And we're glad you could join us this evening. Uh, we record every Wednesday night. Uh, well, we record Wednesday, every Wednesday night we're able. We'll have some coming up uh, in a couple of weeks where we have to change things up, but we'll let you know about that. But uh, if you want to know when we go live, head to pcper.com slash subscribe, where you can uh, join our mailing list, where we use it only to let you know about our live events. We don't use it for any other marketing or we don't sell it or anything. It's just a quick little email we send out about an hour or so before we go live, so you know when you can join us. Uh, and then uh, check us out. We are currently doing our live streaming on YouTube, but come next month, uh, according to the plan, uh, we'll have our new website up and uh, we'll have a, a pcper.com slash live page. Uh, back in action for you to easily join our our live streams there. Uh, but uh, we're here. We're live. Uh, I apologize. My video tonight is a little slow. The frame rate is messed up. We were troubleshooting before we went live, and I can't fix it. So uh, just uh, put some tape over the screen on my little square, and uh, that'll that'll fix that up for you. Well, you should do that anyway, uh, regardless of frame rate. That's uh, gonna say. I, I mean, when when have I taken the tape off? Exactly. There you go. So I have to switch the squares around now to. Throw everyone, throw everyone off. Uh, but, but, Don't uh, like you said, dare. We're, we're, uh, we're glad you could join us. We've got a lot of news today, or uh, news this week. Uh, we had NVIDIA's GTC and the GDC conference, where uh, the headliner, of course, was uh, Google's uh, unveiling, expected unveiling of its game streaming service, uh, Stadia. So we'll be talking about that. Uh, but first up, we've got a couple of reviews this week, starting with uh, a review of a new Razer mouse uh, from Chris Koch, uh, who took a look at the Razer Basilisk Essential, and this is a, a lower cost. I mean, it, it's it's a cheaper, lower cost, lower, uh, lower, less expensive. Well, it is, it is less expensive, and, and I'm trying to say cheap or cheap without without uh, degrading the the product here. But it does have lower specs. It's a it's a uh, a version of the regular Basilisk, the well reviewed Basilisk mouse. Starts at forty nine nine, or it, it's currently priced at forty nine ninety nine US, and it has a sixty four hundred DPI sensor versus the you know sixteen thousand DPI sensors that are becoming common in uh, higher end gaming mice. But it's got the sort of uh, the the same look and feel, but just a, a little bit different materials. It's a lightweight mouse, ninety five grams, customizable uh, logo for the for for the lighting, and uh, overall he he. You know, he really liked it as a cheaper alternative. If you don't want to spend the $80 or so for a a Basilisk or, or one of the higher-end gaming mice, he saw it as a good uh, alternative. I know, Sebastian, did you, did you take a look at this as well or his, his review? Yes. Yeah, when I uh, was inputting it and kind of like you just said, like he, he prefers 
the more expensive version, of course. But you know, and, and I have not seen Amazon pricing on this. I'm looking right now, and I'm I'm seeing like thirty nine ish, which may be a different model. But to get to the lower price point, like you said, he was he was happy with the results overall. He said they were fair for the price. He was talking about accuracy using a mouse testing uh, application called the the Zowie Mouse Rate Checker. So we got pretty in depth in the review as far as the overall performance of it. But it, we always have to temper our conclusions based on the price, and he kind of felt like it was priced right for the performance level, even if. And it is the least expensive. I didn't really think that Razer was uh, kind of in the higher end. But $49.99 ties for the cheapest mouse in their catalog. So you're not getting the 16,000 DPI, but you're still getting good performance. Yeah, he said that with that mouse tester software, there were some anomalies at uh, some of the very rapid movement. Uh, but he And he said and he, it might be possible for a professional gamer a professional like Twitch style gamer to notice those those differences, but he didn't. He said he didn't notice it, and and most people probably wouldn't. So, anybody else have any experience with this or the the full full flavored basilisk uh, mouse? You know, throw it against the wall just to see how many pieces it'd go. But you know, I don't have one with me for fifty dollars. That would be fun once, maybe. True. Whoa, what are we talking about, Josh? Huh. For fifty dollars, you mean you don't throw one. away fifty dollars just on a uh, just on a whim? I mean, it depends you not on met the whim. my wife. Oh, okay. mm. actually, no, I have not. And that's funny. I haven't met yours either. Maybe they don't exist. As long as anyway. we're not getting into PC for wife swapping. Oh God. Okay. Anyway, let's oh, move on right. to the next. <laughs> I was waiting for that forced, uh, quick panicked transition <laughs> it wouldn't be a show without one or two so uh so that that was the basilisk essential mouse 50 dollars from razor uh, a recommendation from chris on on that uh next up it's a review of sorts it's a performance preview that sebastian put together for us uh tom clancy's the division two launched recently and uh, he took this as an opportunity uh instead of uh Looking at the game at the game itself critically, uh, we looked at how does it perform with a range of GPUs, and he tested ten GPUs, uh, sort of ranging from the mid range to higher end, although not the highest end. So I don't know what was right. the price range on these, Sebastian. Uh, it was probably like two hundred to five hundred dollars. Yeah, actually, I saw at the low end. I was impressed because when I published this. The low end was actually under 190, like 187, 188 for an 8 gigabyte version. Uh, well, I think all the 580s are 8 gigabytes, but anyhow, of an RX 580. So anywhere from around that 190 mark all the way up to the $699 Radeon 7 and RTX 2080. But I only tested the those $700 cards at 4K. So the rest of the review is just taking a look at performance. Well, I, didn't, I tested it at 1440 Ultra as well. So... I was going to say, I'm looking at, I'm looking at a a picture that contradicts your statement there. Once again, I have no idea what I'm talking about, Jim. And I'm the one who wrote this. But after hours and hours of uh, benchmarking this with all sorts of different cards, and then updating to the latest drivers, trashing all those results and starting over again after a 17 hour marathon session. Because game ready, you know what I'm saying? I, yeah, well, it was actually the AMD side. They came out with uh, 19.3.2 about eight hours after I started testing. Anyhow, it was very interesting, especially after I updated, because I will say going from 19.3.1, 
this tells you why you should always stay up up to date on your graphics drivers because I was getting huge performance increases of like eight, 10 or more frames per second just by updating the drivers. So anyway, looking at 1440p results, if you guys have had a chance to glance at this, right in the middle of the chart is very interesting because you have the Vega 56, which we've seen selling for as little as $269 lately. And I think when I published this, it was $289 after a rebate. So like $309 or something. 60 plus frames per second at 1440 ultra settings, which was beating out consistently the RTX 2060, which starts at 349. So very, very good performance from AMD here. This is one of those games that has the AMD logos when you boot it up. It's a game that's optimized for Radeon, kind of like the Far Cry 5, another Ubisoft title, another game that's sort of Radeon ready. And especially running the latest driver, great performance, not at the very top, the 2080 still managed to beat it out by about four frames per second. At 1440, I took just the under $400 group. So leading off with the Vega 56 and down, and the Vega 56 was on top at 1080 Ultra. I mean, I don't don't know if you're buying a 2060 or a Vega 56 to game at 1080, but just to look at what the frame rates were like, and they were like 95 to 100 frames per second on average. This game is not an especially challenging game unless you crank the settings all the way up and play your higher resolutions it's the performance kind of reminded me of uh the world of tanks encore benchmark where you've got to put it at ultra or you're way over 100 with almost every card so anyway you know i it's something that i i was thinking about you know the the prevalence of 144 hertz 144 hertz 144 hertz monitors is now widespread i mean it's you know, the, the, not every gamer obviously has one, but it would be interesting to test how much you could really maximize those kind of monitors in, in interesting environments. Because, um, you know, everybody kind of expects, well, 60 hertz is, you know, what you need to be, 60 frames per second. But if you've ever experienced gaming at, at above 100 hertz or 100 frames per second, it's a significantly different experience. It's It's... You know, things are just smooth. Things are just seamless. You just go. And especially with FreeSync and, and G-Sync, you know, I, I would almost argue that a lot of these mid-range cards at, at 1080p should be going towards, you know, that 120, 144 number. And if you can see in this one, they're, they're not approaching that anywhere. And, yeah, FreeSync and G-Sync will help to smooth things out. But, boy, you know, more is is better in this. And... After seriously two decades of of, of study and, and thinking about it, you know, the closer you can get to, you know, 200, 250 frames per second and that kind of refresh, uh, the more seamless things actually seem to you. I mean, there's there's been some really interesting studies, and I don't really want to go into these right now, but, you know, the more input and more analog-like input that humans get the better reaction we have because it's it's more like the reality around us. And so, you know, going to a digital world where 30 frames per second was once considered good and you know, it was it was fun because it was a new experience. Quake 1, Quake 2, you're all sitting around there, you you've got 3D graphics for the first time and you don't know anything different until you start getting faster and faster and things start getting smoother and turns are not chunky. You know, stuff is seamless. And so uh, Division 2 is a beautiful looking game. And 
you run there through there the the foliage is great the lighting is great and it's still hammering these cards but you want those high frame rates and so it's it's nice to see over 100 in, in some of these but yeah, I, I kind of wonder if we shouldn't start focusing on getting, you know, let's let's utilize these gaming monitors that run for 120 hertz to 144 hertz and, uh, you know, give the people what they want. Yeah, I think it. you absolutely can hit those higher frame rates if you lower the quality settings down. Like, even high settings on this game look fine. Ultra turns some other stuff on. You can actually crank it up a little bit beyond just the Ultra preset by manually adjusting things. But there is a happy medium in there somewhere. If you're just, if you're favoring frame rate over detail quality, change the draw distance and move some sliders around. I'm sure you could hit those numbers, but in the end it was basically a little bit easier on a system to run than I think far cry five is. So maybe a little bit more optimized, especially on AMD hardware, where even though they didn't have the overall lead at the very top in the middle and towards the bottom, these older RX 500 series cards do quite well. And they're, I think my conclusions were just if you're if you're just specking out a system or an upgrade to play this particular game, and especially if you're playing at 1080, even an RX 580 is going to play well over 60 frames per second on average, even if you crank it all the way up to ultra. So, you know, if if you're going for a higher frame rate, I don't know if if the high frame rate, the high refresh monitor is the same market as the under $200 graphics card market. But have, you know, have you seen the prices on some of these monitors now? I haven't priced out a uh, like talking about like a 144 refresh. Yeah, I've got a I've got a VA panel downstairs from Acer. It's 144 hertz with FreeSync, and it's usually on sale for around 150, if not a little bit less, a couple bucks. Nice. I mean, they're dirt cheap. That is, comp- especially if it's a VA panel, but that because that'll have nicer blacks, better yeah. contrast ratio than in a TN. I mean, TN panels are like going up to 240 hertz. I mean, it's they're crap. I mean, I wouldn't do anything less than a VA, but this VA at 144 is, I mean, it's bright enough. Uh, it's it's obviously fast. It doesn't suffer from anything really that I notice, other than it's slow to start up. I mean, the, I think this is a model issue. And I wish they had a uh, firmware update or something for it. Because when you turn on your computer, there's a good couple of seconds where it's just dead. And so you don't actually see the boot up screen. And it's bizarre. But anyway, that's, that's you know, a topic for another day. But these monitors are, are getting inexpensive. You can get a 27 yeah, inch at- for less than 200. Oh, it's not bad. Looking at an Acer ED242QR. A B I D P X because Acer has the best great names names. great (laughs) in the world names and it is 169 on Amazon that's 144 hertz 1080 monitor with a V A panel yeah that's nuts isn't it yeah that is I mean it's awesome but it's nuts yeah yeah I remember I ordered uh, from. What was the name of that Canadian-based uh, computer company? They had a, it was uh, NCIX that went out of business, didn't they? Yep. Yeah, and I, yeah, I pre-ordered did. my first G-Sync 120 hertz monitor uh, seven years ago, and I was waiting anxiously, and it was thousand dollars, eleven hundred dollars, something like that. I put myself on mute because uh, my kid is screaming in the background. It's awesome. 
Well, what's he screaming about? <laughs> Never have children. About taking out the garbage. It's great. <laughs> okay. A little late for most of us here for that that advice, Josh. I know. Well, except Jeremy. Run away, Jeremy. Run away. Yeah. Still could make that mistake. Well, let's uh, satisfy so myself you also, with cousins and nieces. You uh, you also took a look at Wait, 4K. You're, you're going to marry cousins and nieces? What? No. Cousins oh, and nieces okay. satisfy my child needs. Because <laughs> I can hand them back. It's screaming over You deal with it. Josh oh, only Lord. has one kind of need, and it must be met. Oh, God. Okay. Yes. Yes, 4K. Jim. We did, look at, we did look at we did look at four K <laughs> results, Jim, and uh, lowering things down to the high preset and adding the uh, outrageously expensive RTX twenty eighty Ti to the mix. Our particular sample is the ASUS Strix gaming card that was twelve hundred ninety nine dollars on Amazon when I checked, and of course that one is way out ahead. But when you look down in the like. 400 and up range. So we're talking 400 all the way up to $1,200. This is where the game actually really does kind of bring the system to its knees a little bit. And even down at the high setting, we were only getting around 50 frames per second from a Vega 64 or an RTX 2070. And then moving up to those smoother 60 plus frames per second averages right around 65, actually a virtual tie between the Radeon 7 and the 2080 there. So another one of those games where AMD could point to the Radeon 7 as trading blows with a RTX 2080, which I kind of think is what their focus of this game launch was, kind of showing you how close AMD graphics are to NVIDIA and how at the lower end, it's a better value. But yeah, I mean, I have no opinion of the game at all because I hate all games equally after benchmarking them extensively over days and days. So I, I really have hey, at least you didn't have no to impression Skyrim very much. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Before his time? It's before my time, as, but as... It, it kind of, it sort of came back a little bit when the, was it the HD texture pack that yeah. kind of brought it back as a legitimate benchmark again, but. Well, you can I mean, put some, some mods and some filters on that thing that'll bog down today's beefiest GPUs. So there's a market for it. It's not a big that one out of ten times that it actually launches successfully. Well, that's true too. I mean, you can only, but you you add a series of mods and then it all collapses on you. That's fun. Yeah. All right. So check that out at the site if you're interested in uh, performance for uh, Division Two and and see how uh, your card or a potential card you want to buy uh, performs. And uh, let's jump into the news. Like I said at the beginning, we've got a ton of news this week. So. Uh, First up is uh, NVIDIA had their GTC conference uh, to start the week, and they announced a ton of stuff. Uh, first off is uh, that they're bringing the real-time ray tracing support to Pascal-based GPUs with the driver April driver update. Uh, tell us about this, Sebastian. Just as you said, it's it's Pascal, and it's also the touring like GTX 16 series non-RTX cards, and apparently it won't be every feature, but... I'm sure Josh will have a lot more to say about this than me when we consider that this is just one of those things you can do when you have fully programmable shaders. And what if we just allocate some of those shader cores to doing this fixed function instead of, you know, obviously if we were to try to do ray tracing in software, that's not tenable at any kind of playable frame rate, but you can allocate resources to do it. And it's not 
not as slow as I was expecting it to be. If you look at the charts NVIDIA provided, the maximum difference between like an RTX 2080 and using a 1080 Ti in like Battlefield, Metro Exodus, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, which just got its DXR features enabled, is up to 3x, but that includes DLSS. So you take DLSS out of the mix, and now you're only like 1 to 2x difference. So obviously, touring is still the way to go if you want to do real-time ray tracing, but the fact that it is now available and that becomes the end user's choice is outstanding. And it's kind of obviously what they should have done from the very beginning, especially if it's as simple as releasing a driver. Curious what SLI will do to that. If you can Mm. just have one card, I don't know how in the hell that would work. It just depends on how each frame is composited. But yeah, I I don't know. It's just I mean, you know, programmable shaders and it's it's all just math in the end. We like math and math is a great thing, but tensor cores because they're so dense and they only do a couple of things really really well, you get really good experience from that. And then when you apply that to more general purpose, just as, you know, GPU versus CPU. You have these GPU cores that do a couple of things really really well as compared to something that is as programmable and and general as the CPU core, and and you can see how, you know, things kind of break down. And that's that's essentially what, you know, Tensor's core are. They they, they do matrices, I believe, and, you know, some very, very simple math. And fortunately, you know, better or worse, that that simple math is, is really good for certain workloads, like machine learning and AI and some of their ray tracing stuff. And so it's cool that they're, they're, They've got the ability for you. I mean, if you've got a 1080 Ti and a 1080p monitor, you can enable these things and still have playable frame rates. And so it's nice that we have that option. We can see these things. It's going to sell more products for NVIDIA in the end because, you know, somebody's going to be a big BF5 uh, user and, and they'll you know, do that, and they really like the extra shinies, and they've got, you know, a GTX 1070 or a 1080, and they're more motivated to get a 2070. So I'm not sure why they didn't do this sooner. Maybe it's just a matter of, of software development and driver development, but I don't know. Maybe NVIDIA is kind of starting to see the light that, um, you know, your consumers are your customers, and you probably should not try to alienate them <laughs> yeah, if nothing else, i mean they already kicked it off with free sync you know opening yeah, up yeah uh, i mean uh, the that's, ability that's to use a that. huge that oh, is absolutely a huge, that is a watershed moment for nvidia and it's yeah. awesome and i still need to do some testing on that in my house because i finally have graphics cards that uh can do that but i don't know i think i think this last year with um I mean, they were probably feeling pretty good when they were selling, you know, three billion dollars a quarter worth of, of product, and then the uh, the crypto stuff, you know, imploded, and a lot of criticism was aimed their way, uh, the way they were kind of handling things with their consumer base, and now I think there's there's some shifting around, both you know from AMD and Nvidia. And uh, yeah, they they both kind of need to be more consumer centric, and this is a nice 
step up so we can actually see what we're missing. All of us, you know, 10 series GTX owners. Yeah. And that's the, that's the Am I have a feeling <laughs> it was a little tame. Firebrand. I want to see a little bit more okay. vitriol. Yeah. But think about it. Like it, it's kind of like the 3d thing. It, until people actually saw 3D TVs themselves and it was set up right and they had the right kind of glasses that worked for them, it was never going to take off. There's too many variables when you have competing technologies. Obviously, it's a stretch to compare this to 3D, but I mean, the, the, the idea of Are this Are you sure you want to talk effect, about NVIDIA and 3D? Well, right, yeah, because they, they got rid of that. <laughs> but My point is, it's hard to sell stuff. Like 3D did not work in a TV commercial. Because it just doesn't work unless you have the equipment. So you couldn't say, like, look at this cool 3D thing you want to go out and buy. You can show people YouTube videos of RTX features, and you have to say, like, oh, pause here. Now look at the reflection on the, the, the quarter panel of this car. Now, now watch the explosion again, but look at the quarter panel of the car. That's lame. And it's, it, was, it, was, it, it was pretty lame. So by saying, okay, you already have this game. Turn this switch on. Now play it. Tell me if it looks different. Tell me if the experience is, is, is better in the game. And if it motivates you to upgrade to a faster car, because you're like, oh, dude, these features are so great, but I'm only getting 25 frames a second with my old 1070, and I could upgrade to this you know, 2070 and get you know, 40 frames per second with this feature turned on, it becomes something that you'd want to upgrade for. Just like since the beginning of this whole 3D gaming thing, when you'd, you'd get the game demo or the game, You'd play it on your existing hardware, and you might only get 10 frames per second. And it would motivate you to go out and buy an upgrade. What Back in those days, it was usually buying a faster CPU because it was software-rendered stuff in the Doom era. But if, if you got the faster hardware, you got faster frame rates and better gameplay. And it's, I think it was way too much of a stretch to say, all right, here's this cool new feature you're going to start seeing in games, but you have to buy one of these expensive 20-series cards. So then it was easy to dismiss the whole thing as this is a gimmick. Who cares? They're just trying to sell graphics cards. I haven't seen it. I don't, I've seen YouTube videos. It looks, I don't care about it. So give people a way to do the demo at home. If they happen to have a 1080 Ti, they're probably going to be just fine if they're running a 1080. And if you want a you know, better performance or a higher resolution, you need to upgrade to one of their 20 series cards. You know, it's it's almost unfortunate that uh, Best Buy didn't hire a bunch of Ryans to go into their store and do the actual 3D, you know, glass technology. Do you, do you guys remember yeah. that video? I know mm-hmm. Jeremy does, but you other guys have have, did, have you actually? Oh, when Ryan that? actually went to the Best Buy. Yes, I have seen that. Yes, that that was. I mean, the the gal is sitting there and she's wearing the glass, and you, I mean, she's going out there and trying to reach it and touch, and she squirms and yells, and it's just, you know, that's the stuff that will sell this technology, but it's hard to get people to. To look at it, or at least, you know, have somebody around here that's going to show it to you so you can experience. I mean, how do you know? Have you seen the elephant? Have you seen it up close? No, most people haven't. So, I don't know. But this is, you know, definitely a good step to see what RTX actually brings to the conversation. Yep, and I want to jump in here real quick to answer two questions that have come up in the chat. Uh, first is, uh, where's the rundown? Again, this is one of those, like, I guess people have missed the last couple months. 
Uh, the rundown is added in post now because we don't have the same setup we did at the studio to overlay it live. Possible to get that going, but it adds an additional layer of complexity I can't deal with. I'm already overwhelmed. So you want the rundown, check the check the on-demand version the day after. And the second point was people were pointing out that uh, they miss Alan. And of course, everybody misses Alan. But one of the reasons they miss Alan is because everyone used to make fun of Alan. And it was really humorous. And I just want to point out, we can still make fun of Alan. Nothing stopping us from making fun of Alan. So don't let that stand in your way and uh, let him have it. Alan Maltavino. Or we could pick another target. Pick me. I'm easy to pick on. You know, make fun of me. Yeah, you're you're skinny. Have to start yeah, reacting better. Head of hair. Yeah. You're kind of yeah, pale. I need to work on my acting you, skills. That's for sure. Do you have, you have decent eyesight with contacts? I don't wear contacts. Oh. Okay. You bear a passing you get, resemblance you to an out-of-work sports announcer? Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the goal. I cut all my hair off. I mean, really? I mean, so how that, many Mets fans an Alan, in Michigan it's an are there? I have an Allen-like appearance right now. Oh. Are you wearing Are you wearing sweatpants in a in a uh, uh, what do you call it a jogging Hoodie. jogging jacket? No, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't put on the sweatpants, but yeah, okay. I am put. I am wearing a jacket. It doesn't have fur like lining and a hood, unfortunately, but I do have the Ellen hairstyle. And at least once per episode, you have to look down at your whatever your laptop and just completely grow oblivious to everything around you. Like install a Windows a update, play, play so Factorio. Uh, Facebook Messenger on your phone, you know. Mm-hmm. There you go. Ah, I love you, Alan. We miss you. And a little bit of cheesecake in a can. Sure. Never hurt. But uh, one of the reasons that uh, NVIDIA may be playing nicer and, and doing some things recently that kind of more consumer-friendly is is there's a new layer of competition, uh, and that is Google, uh, as expected, made their announcement at GDC of Stadia, which is their upcoming online streaming gaming platform. And this is, you know, streaming on, you know, games through the internet, that's not new. There's been a dozen different companies that have tried it. The thing that seems to be different about Google is they're easily the biggest to get into this game uh, so far in terms of just being a, a big company with the resources. They have a huge network infrastructure, but they also have all these other products that they're leveraging to expand on what this is going to be. So it's not just game streaming. What, like but Google Wave and Google Plus? Well, uh, sure. Those uh, <laughs> more like YouTube and Mess or and Gmail and uh, and Android and Chrome OS and and basically the point here is they, they tested this last fall with Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Uh, the point is that you can access these games on any device that runs Chrome OS or the Chrome browser. So that's pretty much every modern device on the planet tablets, phones, desktop PCs, televisions. And it allows you as the user, as the account holder, to jump into a game and continue within seconds, they say, and then pick it up and continue it on the, another device uh, seamlessly. Share that game, uh, share like like streaming, except you're streaming from their servers, so you can stream in high-quality 4K60 even if you don't have the upload bandwidth for that. And uh, share, they have a, a sort of a, a save state kind of, system where you can share your games with uh, other people, or if you're a creator, this is a big creator-focused event. If you're a creator, you can say, here, I'm, I'm streaming this game live, and here's the point I left off, and and then just have a link. And whoever clicks on that link who's a member of this service can jump in and take over your game 
either in their own instance or even in some cases take over for you and then you stream what they're playing in real time. So it's very interesting. Uh, I think that uh, for those who saw the announcement, the important thing to remember is 70% of what they said is complete and total bullshit. Um, it's, and I don't blame them. You know, they're trying to present their product in the best light. And this was eventually where we're going. But all of it uh, re relies on a reliable, low latency internet connection. And they're doing some interesting things with multiplayer gaming to kind of eliminate the public internet so that you'd connect directly to Google. Then Google would connect directly to your teammates or competitors and stuff like that helps. And, but the whole thing kind of crumbles when you look at, at what the state of the internet is in the countries they're going to be launching in, which is us, Canada, UK, and they say most of Europe, there's parts of Eastern Europe that have really great internet. And there's parts of Asia that have really great internet, but us, Canada, UK, Australia, it's all garbage. I mean, it's, it's low, it's low quality. I mean, there are, there are some service providers that are good, but it's generally low quality, expensive data caps, all the things that are going to hamper the adoption of this. Uh, so that's, worrying and i also um i don't know did, did anybody get a chance to test the assassin's creed odyssey uh experience that they the, the test they did last fall no no nobody i got to play it for like 15 minutes so i wasn't a, a member but i had a, a colleague who, who had gotten into the beta and i was on his laptop and i tested it for a few minutes uh it's it was it was probably the second best streaming in terms of latency but it, it's still you can feel it it was not, you know, they started this conference off with all these reports of how awesome it was and how many users loved it and said they couldn't believe it. And again, obviously, they're going to present it in the best light, but that is not reality. Uh, maybe those people were on very good Internet connections, uh, you know, in, in California, close to the servers. But out here in the Midwest, it was it was a noticeably latent latency filled experience. Image quality had some maybe issues. Maybe those people are just used to having 30 frames per second with v-sync enabled uh, that could be it i mean something so like v-sync or... yeah so they're no i mean they're... i i've been i've been talking to guys for a while about you know this this kind of stuff and um under 40 milliseconds is you don't really notice it under 20 milliseconds you don't notice any kind of latency at all it all just feels real but if you think about it if you do you know ping tests from, you know, like Laramie to California, you're looking at 80 milliseconds for that. And then when you think about the round trip from input to all that and then back to you, that's, you know, without any kind of correction and whatnot, that's that's 180 milliseconds, 100, 160, sorry, of, of, of latency that you have to deal with. And that's, that's significant. It, it gets frustrating because somebody pops up and you move over there and you just, you know, it seems like it's forever because it, in a fast action paced game, that is forever. That's going to get you killed. That's, that's, you know, back in the day of, of playing on dial up modem, when you're 180 to 200 milliseconds, you see somebody pop on that's 80 milliseconds and you call them a low ping bastard because they're killing everybody. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. And so, I mean, yeah, they've got techniques to, to lower that, perceived latency but you're still dealing with physics and yeah i've got a pretty good internet connection right now and even then it's not always fantastic and yeah. then guys like spectrum do some really interesting things like i know this is going way off course but um 
instead of going to the fastest route, they route you through the least used routes, yet stay under 100 milliseconds to get to where you're going. And so they utilize their entire infrastructure better, but they lower everybody's experience. And when you're talking about enterprise stuff, that's a that's a big deal. When you're talking about this kind of gaming, that's an even bigger deal. Yeah. I hear a cat in distress. I hope everything's okay. I was going to say. No, he's just bored. Okay. Uh, we'll get him just some, bored. Get him some uh, streaming games yep. to play. Uh, well, he, but, he's standing over top of his dish and screaming at me because I'm not uh, petting him how while much, he's eating. How much do you think their direct Wi-Fi connected controller will help cut down on that feeling of latency? Because that's yeah, the that, first for one of these services, right? Yeah, that that is. And, and just to clarify, that's uh, they said that their controllers, if you use, you can use your own controller through USB with your Chrome device. But they have a controller itself, which directly connects over Wi-Fi to the server, the Google server. So that's cutting out a latent, a latency, mm-hmm. a path for latency. That that certainly can help. Uh, but again, as Josh said, it's a physics problem. There is an issue of of physics and, and the speed of light that you cannot ever overcome. You can adapt to it, though. And it had me thinking about um, about two years ago when the PS4 Pro launched. We did some tests on trying to measure. Uh, disk performance because it had swapped from SATA 2 to SATA 3 in the Pro. And we discovered that a lot of games, we couldn't actually test it because the developers of of these games had had foreseen the issues of disk access and coded their games around that. So there would be uh, cutscenes at key moments where there was disk loading in the background. And it didn't matter that the game loaded faster. You still had to sit through the cutscene. Uh, or there would be things where uh, it would just put you in a different, there would just be different ways to architect the game to take advantage or to, to avoid having those uh, disk access speed issues. And if you look at this as a platform that will, this and other online services that will become the future, you can see games come out built for this that will eliminate the issue of latency or, or, or mask it at least to a great degree. But I will point out too, the irony of all this is during that stream because again, this all relies on the internet. <laughs> this, the damn stream glitched out like a dozen times to- or half a dozen times. There was five or six points where the stream went to crap and got all pixelated and froze. So, and that was on Google's end of streaming that out through their own uh, their own streaming ser- through YouTube. So, I- ironic. Yeah, a couple I guess. other little things. One, I was absolutely I- I'm wrong. Ping is round trip, so you don't double. Yeah, I wasn't going to say that. Yeah, thanks. And uh, also, uh, you do not also, uh, something that we didn't mention is that when the game does get the input from you, it still needs to process that. And when it's, you know, local to you, it's it's very, very quick, but that still adds another area of, of, of latency that adds onto that. And then we're not even talking about, you know, they're, they're talking about 4K rendering. They have to have some serious serious not encryption but uh, encoding on their end that is low bandwidth and high you know gpu cpu performance whatever to compress that as much as possible without all the fun artifacts that we tend to get i mean if you watch a live stream on twitch or whatever and even if they're playing at 1080p you know immediately if you're watching something streaming versus you're watching something on your you know that you're actually playing on your computer because 
I mean, it's it's the human the human vision system notices strange things and oddities and stuff that's out of place. And when you're playing something locally, you know, the artifacts that you see are typically like, you know, anti-aliasing and whatnot. But when you're streaming something, then you're going to have encoding issues, going to have some, you know, artifacts that, that just don't jive. And so there's, there's a lot that they've got to go through for any kind of hardcore gamer to be able to do this casual gamers playing, you know, bejeweled blitz and some other things that they're not going to notice. But if you're pushing, you know, Assassin's Creed Odyssey battlefield series and whatnot, it's, it's, it's a pretty big mountain to climb. Yeah. And you've got to do that because otherwise, you know what, if it was lousily compressed, uh, 4k video, you'd be, you know, average, bandwidth limits out here uh, in Canada and the US that'd be what 50 60 hours of gameplay in a month and you'd be blowing through your cap assuming you didn't do anything else yeah so that all adds you know another level that at least makes it harder in this market uh, overseas they're they're a little bit better about meaning unlimited when they say unlimited and it, but it it's all reminds me back to when on life first started this whole idea and I, they reached out to me and I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll definitely try it out. And we did a couple of emails back and forth. They were excited. And then they said, okay, so, and you guys, you're located with Ryan in Kentucky. And I'm like, no, I'm in Vancouver. Oh, we, uh, we're not ready to roll it out to people there. And, and like, like the tone totally changed to, oh shit, he's going to have a bad experience. And we know it. And so they did actually do Ryan and there was an interesting article put out of it where essentially he had probably a better experience than I would have, but still just not good. And it's, it's been five or six years, but bandwidth caps, the the basic internet plans that are available haven't changed. So it's kind of hard to see, as Josh says, you know, how is Google going to get around that to provide something that's enjoyable? And that article led to threats of lawsuits, as I recall. Just a bit, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which, which also, uh, as we'll talk about later, uh, involved a uh, friend of the site, Cal Bennett, who again, I was just a viewer <laughs> at this point, but uh, he stepped in and and, and helped. And so, uh, from the PC per, even though I wasn't part of it then, from the PC per family as an entity itself, uh, a big thank you to Kyle for his support back then. Uh, so that was interesting, interesting times as a as a reader. Um, and then to join and, and hear the inside baseball side of that thing. But, uh, Oh, good God. That was 2010. It was even longer ago than I thought. Yeah. When you said five or six, I was thinking eh, a little more than that, but yeah, no, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, a lot of interesting things with, uh, Google and another, another, uh, thing I don't like about it is that it's, it's another step towards the elimination of game ownership and, game control. I mean, they very proudly pointed out that there'll be no cheating and hacking, which is awesome for multiplayer. <laughs> uh, but I mean, on, in terms of single player, I love to cheat in games, in single player games, because like open world games where you can cheat and add a bunch of money or add invincibility. I, I play the game normally and then I go back and play it with cheats usually. And it's a different kind of game. It makes, it gives you a different experience. And don't get, get me wrong. It's not about the concept of cheating. They will sell you cheats that's really what it comes down to you want more money oh that's a microtransaction, and in some cases not so much of a micro transaction 
quite a big transaction. Uh, look at what they did with GTA five. It's like, they have no problem with people getting an unfair advantage. They just want to charge you for it. So I, I don't, I don't like where that's going. Um, but we'll, we'll see that Google obviously is very earnest about this. Microsoft has got their service coming up. Uh, there's been rumblings about Apple. This is, you know, something that this is a, a, a big factor in the future. I hope though, that the market stays sane and that they view this as one option and not the be all end all, uh, of, uh, gaming. So, you know what I we'll think see. it's going to kind of shake down to, and I don't mean to prolong this more than I should. This is going to appeal to those who probably wouldn't necessarily upgrade to a GPU that they just buy an all-in-one kind of computer from somebody and wonder why their game plays so crappily. They'll get a good experience out of this. They won't know any better, but I still think that the, the core gaming market is still going to want to have as much performance in the box right next to them and as much control over it. And again, ownership of this software that, you know, on live folds and the games you bought with them, they're gone. Or, you know, however do they decide to, 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 uh, you know, make money off of that. And, um, you know, I, I think in the end, if they do it well, it's going to enhance the gaming market just because there are more people going to play. And there are going to be some who will get into this stuff who are going to use this Google thing and then go over to like a friend's house and like, hey, I recognize that game. Let me play it. And they're like, this experience is so much sharper, so much crisper, so much more reactive than what I've been experiencing. Hey, maybe I'm going to go in, purchase a better computer. I'm going to go and upgrade my GPU. I'm I'm going to have these things loaded locally onto my machine and I'm going to enjoy it and go from there. So it's, it's, you know, and potentially it, it could be a win-win for everybody because it exposes a larger market to the really interesting interactive gaming products that, that are out there. Well, their, their motto is games for everyone or gameplay for everyone, something like that. So they're they're thinking of it but uh we don't know all the details we don't know pricing we don't know if is it a subscription do you buy or combination uh all we know is they said it's going to be launching in 2019 that's so i assume late 2019 uh due to the lack of specificity there uh so we'll we'll uh be following that and and see uh see how that kind of comes together i imagine they're briefing developers uh broadly this week so I assume we'll have some leaks uh, from those discussions that might give us some more insight. Uh, but uh, but let's uh, let's move on. We've got uh, even more news. Uh, so uh, NVIDIA announced a, uh, a GameWorks RTX a- API, I guess, and, uh, un- and also alongside that having RTX support with Unreal Engine and Unity built in. So uh, why don't you tell us about this, Sebastian? Yeah, I'm sure GameWorks is not going to be the most exciting thing for a lot of our viewers. This is, it made sense that they would add RTX to the whole GameWorks ecosystem. And that's more of more interest to developers, and it's something that you'll see in NVIDIA like enhanced games. But And that goes along, along with, I believe, let's see, the components of the ray tracing, GameWorks RTX is going to be ambient occlusion, ray trace reflections, ray trace shadow, so it gives developers tools to integrate those RTX features, which of course are going to be NVIDIA 20 series RTX features. I don't believe those are necessarily going to be the, you know, DirectX 12 DXR 
features. But speaking of DXR, it was interesting. They mentioned on stage, and of course, this week with GDC going on, there's a lot of talk about DXR, a lot of talk about things other than the sort of proprietary implementations of ray tracing we've seen to this point, where earlier in the week, we saw CryEngines. I don't think we have that on the news list, so I'll wait. But now Unreal Engine and Unity, the latest versions are going to have real-time ray tracing support built in. So Unreal Engine starting with version 4.22, which is in preview, and then the preview version uh, 2019.03 for Unity. And you're going to start seeing on the list uh, Frostbite Engine, Northlight Engine, Kingsoft, etc., etc. And then I mentioned CryEngine already. We're going to start seeing the major game engines supporting this, so it's going to be a lot more prevalent. It's it's easy to argue right now. There's like five, you know four or five titles total that have any kind of ray tracing support, but you know, and, and Nvidia themselves was showing another look at ray tracing in Quake, which we've been talking about since 2006. So new games on these very common game engines, obviously Unreal and Unity, kind of dominate a lot of the market. So just interesting news, not necessarily Nvidia specific news. Their news is just you know that they're unlocking real-time ray tracing support for non-RTX cards and that they are adding game, you know, RTX to game works. But and and so let's just uh, keep rolling though you as you as you mentioned Crytex uh, got a demo here for real-time ray tracing, right? Yeah. And what was cool about this is the video they put out. If you go to the site, I embedded their video which is on YouTube. It's called Neon Noir, which basically looks like somebody did a run through in the Blade Runner world, but using a drone instead of one of the flying cars. And it's it's it looks amazing. And that's like the perfect to me, this is the perfect demo for it. Maybe just because I'm a Blade Runner fan, but seeing that kind of really dark environment where you have like rain coming down, there's the reflections from the neon lights, the reflections off of buildings and signs, and there's an added depth to it that you do actually palpably see watching this. And what was cool is this was all done on a, a Vega 56, not even a 64, not a Radeon 7, just a Vega 56. They run this at 4K 30. It's not high frame rate. And obviously you'd have to get a beefier card to go up to 60 frames per second with this, but it's coming to the game engine. They're part of their total illumination uh, package within CryEngine. And at some point this year, we're going to start seeing this available to developers, real-time ray tracing, reflections within this game engine. So just another example of, you know, non-RTX specific DXR real-time ray tracing, which I think it'll become commonplace enough that we won't be having the argument like, is this just a fad? If it's platform agnostic and it's API agnostic, because this, the other interesting thing about this, and I'll wrap this up, is that it's not a DirectX 12 implementation. It's, it works on Vulkan as well as DX12. So we could see this running on a Linux game or a Linux version of a game. So even better. Awesome. And continuing uh, GPU uh, technology news, uh, an announcement from Microsoft that they're adding variable rate shading to DirectX 12. And this is something that the latest uh, NVIDIA GPUs already have built in, uh, I understand. But this would be something that Microsoft is is adding right into the uh, DX12 uh, API. So... Uh, I know Scott wrote this up. Uh, Josh or Jeremy or, or Sebastian, do you guys have any thoughts on this? 
Okay, so basically variable ray shading is there are going to be areas of the scene that do not need, you know, the 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 full precision shading required. So you you do something in uh, FP32, right? And you do it across the whole scene, except that there's like let's say there's a water scene and you've got some deep dark water with a couple of specular highlights on there. They may not need the full FP32 precision. You can go down to FB16 or FP8 or Int8 or whatever. And so, you know, instead of, of wasting all of these resources doing something that's very, very simple and does not need that kind of, of precision, it falls back on, on these this variable um, rate shading that does kind of the best visual quality for the processing needed. And sometimes that could be really, really, really simple. I mean, you only need to have a couple of passes on a single pixel and doesn't need to have the full FP32 treatment. And so this is a, a good thing in terms of performance, and it's not going to impact you visually. And so it's a smarter way of doing as much work with as few resources as possible while still focusing uh, all the, the really heavy-duty processing on areas that, that need it. And then, you know, not worrying about the stuff that happens to the side that, that necessarily doesn't. So you're looking at civilization, I believe. And if you look at, uh, you know, you, you've got some good shading going on, shadowing and whatnot, and my phone's ringing, and uh, stuff on the land masses, and you've got snow, and you've got effects, and then you've got those deep dark ocean spaces that there's nothing going on. So if you scroll down a little bit, you'll see the stuff that is more intensely shaded, you know, that, that, that requires higher precision. And that's the land masses where you have vegetation and light interactions. And then you've got the blue parts, which are just the oceans with maybe some specular to them. I mean, it's, it's, you know, why waste more performance on something you don't need to? And so variable shading is, is it's a really smart way of doing things. It's you're focusing your performance, your, your computation to the areas that need it most. And then don't worry about the stuff that, that doesn't need it. It's not going to enhance your experience whatsoever. Yeah, and uh, Microsoft, these uh, images we were showing you are from Microsoft's blog post about this. And they tested Civ 6 and you can uh, head over to uh, their blog post that we've linked to and uh, read their full explanation and, and see the uh, the comparisons they did with it on and off. Uh, be sure to check that out. Uh, more NVIDIA news. Uh, they have uh, a bunch of server announcements uh, that Jeremy wrote up for us. So let, uh, why don't you tell us about this? Well, I mean, do you remember the T4 GPUs coming out about a year, year and a half ago? No. no. Well, it, it was <laughs> no. August of 2018, right? Uh, yeah. I, like and it was impressive, but it didn't really get much coverage because, in one sense, it was like, "What am I supposed to do with that?" Well, today they've sort of explained why this is actually kind of an interesting product. They've got partners with Cisco and Dell uh, and a whole bunch of other people shipping physical equipment, and you can also get instances on Amazon and Azure now which are powered by these T4 GPUs, up to 40 of them, which give an immense amount of HPC uh, processing power. I mean, these are the ones that are specifically designed for machine learning and doing interesting stuff with AIs. And one of the nice things about it is that they're, they're 70 watts 
uh, of power consumption, which is, you know, significantly less than the Teslas that we've been seeing in the previous versions. It makes it a little more interesting for these companies to pick it up because your electrical bill isn't going to raise your, your server rental prices immensely. Now, along with this comes a whole bunch of software. Uh, they've they've got the NGC uh, software, which is designed specifically to run on these and takes advantage of their CUDA XAI, which, you know, as the name sort of implies, is specific to be running on CUDA cores. Now, it all of a sudden puts them into a market they've only ever sort of put their toes into and never really went further than that. The, the, you could build one on your own, but they weren't sort of pushing them out there. Now they've got major pro, uh, partners, which are, you know, as of today, selling these things. And you're going to be able to make some really, really interesting things. For instance, the, the one that they really talked about uh, is NVIDIA's Drive Constellation, which uh, Josh is probably going to try and desperately get into. But the whole idea is that you, you create this playground to train self instances of self-driving cars. And so they are learning in this huge world filled with all sorts of cars, all powered uh, by the, these T4s. And, you know, it's probably also just an amazing driving simulator because a couple of screenshots they show are just stupidly gorgeous. It, it's a big thing for NVIDIA to be able to sell these. And one of my speculations, and, and this is just purely guessing, they just picked up Mellanox, right, which is known for high-end network and interconnect stuff. Why sell just the graphics card when you can be selling most of that box? So the way that it's talking to the boxes in a big rack is also built in-house by NVIDIA. Uh, depending on how they leverage Melanox's stuff, it, it, they could be building uh, direct-to-provider sort of things or just you know instances all across the world so that now you can be just pulling this stuff out of the cloud uh, as per the Azure and Amazon Web Service deals. And now NVIDIA's, you know, not just making money off the cards, they're making money off of almost an entire box that the is then just being finished off by Dell or HPE or whoever, which could be really, really interesting in a year or two, depending on how well this takes off. Awesome. All right. Uh, now yeah. we're just going to take a, a quick break to thank one of our sponsors this week. Like many of you, I'm a parent. My son is six years old. And I often find myself envious of the technology he's had access to his entire life. He doesn't know a world where tablets, video games, on-demand videos, and the ability to find almost anything instantly via the internet don't exist. But as awesome as these advantages are, I also often worry about the downsides of technology. Using a tablet all day at school and at home doesn't require any real tactile experiences, and the ease of access to information and entertainment doesn't challenge him to think and explore. And that's why I jumped at the opportunity to try KiwiCo, which is a company that merges the benefits of new and old to provide kids of all ages with the ability to play and learn from a creative, hands-on experience. With KiwiCo, each month you and your child receive a project crate that's targeted to your child's age and interests, from arts and design to geography and culture to science and engineering. The crate's compact with everything you need for each project, allowing your child to work alone or with you to create something fun and educational. And that's really what's special about KiwiCo. Completing each project gives your child something real and tactile that they can be proud of. It gives them a sense of accomplishment. They figured out the instructions, overcame the challenges, and thought critically about a real-world, hands-on task. They built this. And once the project is complete, there's also a book or magazine in each crate filled with fun activities. 
Of course, there are lots of physical, hands-on activities out there for children, but KiwiCo gives you this experience conveniently. There's no need to shop for supplies or have supplies go to waste. You and your child can simply look forward each month to a fun educational experience that's delivered entirely right to your door. And there's no commitment. Simply choose the crate that matches your child's age and interest and have it delivered to your door in just a few days. You can pause or cancel your subscription at any time. My son loved his KiwiCo crate and immediately demanded to know when the next one would arrive. And I bet your child would have the same reaction. So we want you to try this out for yourself. Change the way your kid plays with KiwiCo. Visit KiwiCo.com slash PCPer and get your first crate free. That's K-I-W-I-C-O dot com slash PCPer for your first crate free. KiwiCo.com slash PCPer. We thank KiwiCo for their support of the PC Perspective podcast. All right, back to the show. Uh, moving on with the news, uh, we've got even more NVIDIA announcements, and this is the uh, creator-ready driver program. We know we have the game-ready driver program. We know they have their professional drivers. Uh, this is something in between. It's, it's meant for people who are looking for consumer GPUs because of the price-to-performance benefit, but they don't need the absolute, they're not, you know, not going to be buying a Quadro because they just don't need that level. But they're they're looking for professional performance in consumer GPUs. And so that's basically what this driver tier is going to do for you. So if you're that kind of person where you're, you know, using Premiere, using Blender, you're going to, and, and you're doing it for professional reasons. So you need stability and, and optimizations for those those types of applications on your GTX or RTX card. This is what you're going to sign up for. And we haven't tested this, but NVIDIA is teasing some not insignificant performance gains. Uh, they say that there's uh, up to uh, 13% performance increase for Blender, uh, 8 and 9% increases for Cinema 4D and uh, Premiere Pro, Photoshop. So an interesting debut here uh, for for games, or I'm sorry, for, for professional application optimized drivers for your consumer cards. Uh, so what, what does everyone think about this? This is on the same hardware, right? This is not requiring no. the professional level cards. No, this is from from uh, what I understand, uh, and Josh has left us, unfortunately, so ignore the upper right corner. But uh, the, uh, the this is, yeah, your RTX, your GTX card, but and, and again, we have to test this. So the idea is that your, your professional drivers for your Quadro cards, those are going to be like the absolute highest performance uh, or absolute highest stability for those critical applications. This is something in between GeForce ready or game ready and those. Uh, so it's, it's tuned for those. The, the release schedule is also going to be matched up to the release of these apps. So you'll see just as today, we see a game ready driver right after the launch of a big AAA game with these, you'll see a creator ready driver launch after the, you know, yearly or every biennial uh, updates to uh, uh, the fo Creative Cloud, uh, the Photoshop uh, hmm. and, and Premiere and stuff like that. So an interesting move on NVIDIA's part, I think. They're, they're bundled right in with the GeForce experience. So you can literally pick yeah. and choose which one you're updating from mm -hmm. within uh, the okay. app. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Josh, Scott, you, you, oh, sorry, go ahead, Sebastian. Oh, uh, is Josh back? Okay. I was going to say, Scott characterizes as, as at the bottom here, he says some more steady driver schedule, some creative application performance enhancements at the expense of a little performance near the launch of major video games. 
is how he was seeing this. So, yeah, and we see this on AMD's side too, where they've got the professional drivers and the game drivers for certain cards, like the Radeon Seven. And you're if you, if you want a game and you're gonna and gaming is your focus, you would go with the game drivers because those are optimized for gameplay rather than stability or professional performance. So you, you make up your mind. But it looks like just like it does on the just like it does on the AMD side, it looks like this is going to be easy for users to switch uh, depending on their needs. So you can work all week and play all weekend just by switching over which driver you're using. And yeah, any, consistency any th- is a great thing, especially when you're dealing with software and you're developing something mm-hmm. that's really, really tough because say NVIDIA, you know, updates their drivers to something that fixes a problem with another application, but it breaks yours. And you've got this, you know, kind of foundational software that you can use to develop, and it makes your life a little easier. Yep. And uh, so Easy is on, good. It is. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. The uh, the initial release is Creator Ready Drivers 419.67. So check that out if, uh, you, if that use case uh, fits what you do with your consumer-level NVIDIA card. Uh, moving on to uh, additional news here, we had some uh, some announcements from Oculus out of GDC. Uh, they have now the Oculus Rift S, which is a, uh, what was the Rift they launched last year? The sort of mobile, it was the Rift, uh, the, the, the lower end Rift. Um, Kodak or something like that. Yeah. I can't I, remember I can't remember, but it was, they, they had like a, a lower end Rift model that they released last year where it's like sort of like it's powered by a Qualcomm Quest. Snapdragon chip. The Quest, yes. Uh, and then this is the the Rift S is a higher end model that is more similar to the previous desktop class Rift interface, but without external cameras. All the sensors are built into the headset, so it's a much cleaner setup, uh, much uh, easier setup and, and usage but it it drops the AMOLED screens uh, as one of the sacrifices. Uh, so it's it's LCD based uh, displays, uh, still higher resolution, but you're kind of so you're going to lose those blacks. Uh, those and it also surprisingly lowers the resolution. I believe that the refresh rate. I'm sorry, not the resolution. The refresh rate. The refresh rate is now 80 hertz instead of 90, which is interesting. Although the uh, the people were basing this story off of, which was was it uh, a non tech or no? It was Ars Ars Technica. Um, yeah. They uh, so we haven't tested this ourselves, but they they tested it and uh, said that even at eighty, it's it's okay. It, it wasn't it wasn't too bad. Uh, so interesting to see them go to uh, an unusual refresh rate like that and to take it down because the goal is, as Josh mentioned, with higher refresh displays uh, in general, is go higher and higher because the faster the refresh rate uh, and the more detailed, the more the higher the resolution, the the easier it is to trick your brain into thinking it's it's real and, and prevent uh, motion sickness and things like that so so something to check out uh 399 i believe is the price uh launching uh, later this year uh this spring and the other fun thing about it is uh, i'm just trying to see if i can find the what they called this feature but it, it's see-through so there is a mode that you can set it to so that you're able to see a black and white version of what's going around on around you so as opposed to having to just yank it off to try and figure out what the hell that noise was, it'll let you see through it, which is, you know, a nice, a pass through plus is what they called it. So it's, you know, a nice idea. 
it, it saves you from breaking completely out of that uh, the, the VR experience when you're trying to look around and see what's going on around you or what was that thing that you just punched in the when you didn't mean to, but in the virtual world, it was a really good punch and something broke in the house. Yeah, so let you see through it, which is nice. Ho- hopefully, not a pet or child, uh, or or spouse or roommate or whatever. Hopefully, inanimate destruction. Uh, all right, so check that out. Uh, anybody else have any thoughts on that on the uh, the Rift S? Cheaper is good, and losing OLED makes sense. That's that's the most obvious cost saving measure. But mm-hmm. I'm still not sold. I, the only VR experience I've ever had that I thought was good was a demo at CES a couple of years ago where they were showing off a prototype headset that had eye tracking built in. And it, obviously these devices are not going to have that. I would assume not going to have that at the three ninety nine price point. So you're still moving your entire head all around yeah. to look inside the game. So yeah. and this isn't, uh, it's not positioned to be the best experience. It's positioned to be affordable, attainable. So, uh, something to, yeah, and they're still saying on. like a 10, 1070 will run it. They're yeah, suggesting even, I think you might even, want better than that, but I think they even said something. I think they said it was it a 1060 even was the minimum yeah, spec. Yeah, 1060. So, yeah. yeah. So, all right. Well, that's the Oculus Rift 3, uh, Oculus Rift S 399 uh, coming out uh, soon this spring, they said. So, uh, next up on the news, we've got uh, just a, a brief update on Spoiler, which was the latest uh, speculative execution vulnerability that came out i think it was march 1st so just uh earlier this month it was you know, you know uh, the unveiled. absolute best thing about this what's that go back to that page mm. you said spoiler and look to the right look there's a spoiler yeah look oh, so shit acer spoiler. must have made it yeah that's uh, <laughs> the name like that that's an acer product Every time, <laughs> every, every time you hear a company on stage talking about AI and how it's we you know Skynet is here, don't don't worry because this is still this is still AI in action right here. This is the state of AI. Is they see the word spoiler because this this module on the website looks for common words and then displays related products. So and two of them, we got a two for one. Ooh, I'm looking at that wing spoiler. It's only fifty six ninety nine. Yeah, is it ninety seven hundred K, or do you need an adapter? You you mount those things with wood wood screws. Yeah, (laughs) and child skulls underneath. Do you think the added? Now think about it. The added downward force from one of those wing style spoilers would give you considerably more airflow, depending on the speed that you're traveling, depending on the aerodynamics of the car. But you know, we we could talk about air cooling systems passively, but once you attach it to the back of a car. The spoiler makes a big difference. We're going to talk about a lot this month, I think, during our extended enclosure, open test bench on uh, trunk enclosure. Uh, I've lost. I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm going to I'll get one and I'll put it on my minivan. So. Oh, no. Okay. And just I want to just clarify, because I I know our half or good chunk of our audience is audio only. Uh, An ad popped up on the site for car spoilers not this particular processor vulnerability. So anyway, spoiler is the latest uh, vulnerability for, uh, or the latest announced uh, speculative execution vulnerability. The authors of the paper said it targeted Intel processors going all the way back to the initial core series. And there was the, the belief initially that this did not affect AMD or ARM processors. 
And AMD itself released a support document a few days ago that confirmed that. And it just said that basically spoiler works by looking, and spoiler itself isn't a vulnerability. I mean, it is, but it, it doesn't do anything bad by itself, but it makes things like Rohammer easier to execute because it's able to map virtual to physical memory are able to reveal the mappings between the virtual and physical memory. And that occurs in, according to AMD, it it's accessing partial address information above address bit 11 during load operations, but AMD CPUs don't store any data above bit 11. So there's nothing there to exploit or, or grab. So uh, good to see that your AMD processor is immune from at least this one. And who knows, uh, you know, there's still a lot of debate out there about you know, are, is Intel more susceptible based on the decisions they made or is Intel more susceptible because they have a majority of market share? And so that's where the people looking for these are looking. And, you know, it's a little bit of both, I think. Uh, what do you think, Josh? Nothing? Josh? I was actually thinking about variable rate shaders and how I screwed up that conversation. <laughs> oh, Okay. Sorry, I, I I checked out. Now, what are we talking about again? So my my question We're talking was, about there's, spoiler, there's, right? There, there, well, there's yep. there's que- because we now know that that AMD uh, and ARM is is not affected by spoiler. There's some question mm-hmm. as to are Nvidia. I'm sorry, are Intel parts just generally more susceptible to speculative execution because of the decisions they made in the design, or is it just that? Uh, Intel has the majority of market share, and so that's where the effort is being placed, both amongst those who are researching this as well as those looking to exploit it uh, maliciously. They're just looking at Intel more carefully to find this kind of stuff. I, I There's more than one way to skin a cat. I think that that's yeah. primarily where we're getting to, is that Intel chooses to do a thing a certain way, and they can extract more performance with the structures that they have and i think there's 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 some give and take there i mean when you want to try to grab as much performance as possible you're you're you know literal you're the 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 way you lay out the transistors the way you have your structures architected i mean there there could be more ways to you know, kind of hack that and 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 exacerbate some of the properties to get back this information. And, you know, maybe AMD stuff is not as, maybe not well-designed, but they're not as performance-enhanced, not as, you know, kind of picking apart things that Intel does. They've got, you know, thousands of engineers more than AMD, and they can really focus on on that design, but you're going to introduce certain physical properties just because of the way you lay things out. And it kind of seems like, you know, Rowhammer and Spoiler and then Spectre and some of these things that they are open up to this. And I, I don't know if this is, you know, just total, if you design for ex- absolute cutting edge performance, are you opening yourself more to these things? Or, I mean, we're just talking billions of transistors. And this is almost a chicken and the egg kind of argument. I mean, mm-hmm. can can you design something fast that won't have these issues? Or if you, you know, try to harden it, do you open up other things that 
you don't foresee. I mean, there are a lot of clever people out there, and these is where these exploits come from. And I mean, can you out engineer every single potential error? I don't know. That's a really and how many years of development question. do you want to? How many years of development do you want to spend hardening a processor against attacks you don't even know exist at this point? Right, like we, the market is such that even though we're sort of stuck in a, a bit where they're just doing iterative updates, it's not major architecture changes every time like it used to be. They're still pushed. I mean, if you're not getting two new lines out a year, people are looking at you funny. I, I, investors are t- starting to take the money away. So, you know, is it worth spending the time to, okay, this works brilliantly. It's actually better than the competition. It's better than our previous model. But Bob over here wants to spend a year and a half making sure that it's secure. Or we could just start selling it tomorrow. And honestly, I mean, how much does this hurt sales uh, of Intel? For me, it's it's a terrifying life experience day in and day out. Uh, not just for Intel, but like Dell and their bloody server management stuff that still hasn't been patched after two years. Uh, like It's a scary world out there, kids. And part of it is because we have to do things very quickly. And I'd love to be able to say that AMD is less vulnerable because it was their plan all along. I don't think I'd be very truthful if I did say that, though. Yeah, it's, it's kind of luck of the draw. Yeah. All right. Now, do we need to redo something for the variable rate shading? Why don't I just mention it here? So Scott told me that I screwed up variable rate shading. There are variable rates that I have talked about in the past that, that well, in, in the article where they use different data formats to render. But in this case, you know, say like everything is FP32, just for consistency's sake, you could do variable rates. Like you apply this to one pixel, this, this, you know, this, the, 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 the precision and whatnot, um, or the same color and that to one pixel. But then variable rate is if you've got large areas where you can do one by two pixels and it won't affect the image quality, you can do that. So like in those deep water, they all kind of look the same. So instead of, you know, individually processing each pixel, it just says, hey, here's a rate here that you can do one by two or two by two. And so you've got these big blocks that are just kind of replicated because they're very, very similar and you're not going to catch a lot of this stuff. That's the variable rate that, that Scott was talking about. So my apologies, my apologies for screwing that up. Uh, no problem. It happens. Well, to me well, more often. Now explain variable rate investments. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's finish up the news. Uh, we've got uh, another uh, GP related story. Uh, this is AMD. Uh, with their latest Adrenaline 2019 edition driver, 19.3.2, is bringing that uh, Windows 7 DX12 support we mentioned a few weeks ago. And uh, it's important, again, to reiterate here, this is not just DX12 for Windows 7 in general. It's not like you're as a user, you're going to install the DirectX 12 APIs and, on your Windows 7 machine and game with all your latest games. These are specific games that have been where the developers have worked with Microsoft. And initially, that's basically uh, World of Warcraft, although there's some additional games here that they mentioned, uh, Civ 6 and Division 2. No, no, I'm sorry. Those are those, those games are just yeah, those, regular yeah. performance improvements. But for the games like World of Warcraft that will come out with the X12 
support. It's specific in, or specific uh, uh, parts of the API that can result in performance improvements and simplified development for the developers within the game itself. So that's how you'll experience this. You'll you'll have an update to your game. You'll have an update to your graphics driver, and then you'll get ideally a performance boost. You know, moderate performance boost uh, in your Windows Seven based games. Yeah, the big thing with World of Warcraft was that 8.1.5 patch, better multi-threading, so substantially higher frame rates with that very much CPU-bound game. And then it was surprising because it came from Microsoft that they were going to be unblocking developers from taking advantage of the DirectV 12 stuff. So I we kind of speculated, I think it was last week, about this, whether this would come in the form of driver updates. And sure enough... <laughs> AMD's next driver update, which added support for Division 2. It's like, oh, by the way, also DirectX 12 on Windows 7 is included with this. So it is something apparently their GPU vendor does have to support. And then it's unlocked to the developers on Microsoft's side, and then they can submit a patch so that it all works together. And clearly, Blizzard has a huge user base on Windows 7, or they would not have gone to the trouble of... uh, probably begging Microsoft to do this for them. Maybe some money was involved. Who knows? I'm cynical, but interesting nonetheless to see who takes advantage with of this, this for an operating system that's EOL. Yeah. With this and the the uh, t- telling us straight out, don't use IE11 anymore, just buddy stop, and Edge is going to be Chrome. I'm, I'm starting to worry if, you know, maybe there's a little bit of lead poisoning or mercury in the food at Microsoft right now. It's... It's a strange world. Uh, Satya is, you know, he's he's been singing this tune since day one. It just took a while to stick, I guess. Okay. Uh, the old Microsoft is dead. Long live Microsoft. Mm. But, and just eat some lead paint chips while you're at it. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how this all works. But uh, we'll also see how much of a disaster the end of life Windows 7 notifications become. Uh, because the the initial experiences I've heard, I haven't seen any personally in my my VMs yet. But uh, the, apparently they're saying, "Hey, it's uh, you know, it's time to just like the Windows 10 upgrade. It's time to do something." But in, in the Windows 10 case, it was get your free upgrade. In this case, it's go buy a new computer. Is what they're literally saying to people uh, through the the initial testing of the notifications. Uh, come check out the latest PCs. Spend a thousand dollars. Yeah, this notification sponsored by Best Buy and HP. Yeah. Yes. I haven't checked it in a while, but the last time I did one, uh, the Windows 7 key still activate Windows 10 just fine. Yeah, the keys, uh, if it's a retail or a volume yes. license or a TechNet key. OEM, not so much. but Yeah, OEMs and uh, uh, even uh, if you had an upgrade key, like if you had a key that came as like part of it, like if you bought it, the Windows Vista to 7 transition, and you got like an upgrade key, those apparently aren't working, so... But uh, yeah, I've got a, a horde of TechNet keys from back when that was still a thing before everyone ruined that. <laughs> those still work just fine. Uh, digital entitlement, they call it. So, uh, well, let's write out the news here. Uh, as we alluded to earlier, uh, a big surprise, at least us, uh, earlier, was it yesterday? Uh, when uh, we heard that another one has bitten the dust. Hard OCP. Kyle Bennett, who's been around forever, uh, the hard OCP forms, the the reviews and, and news, it's all 
It's all going away. Well, the forums are still going to stay up, I guess, but the, the reviews are stopping. Kyle has gone to Intel. Joining Ryan, Ken, Alan, Chris Perillo, and about a half a dozen other media people they've been to p- have picked Scott. up in the last six months. So what, Scott? Oh, Scott. No, went wait, to AMD. Scott went the other way, didn't he? Scott yeah, Wasson. We're talking about Scott Wasson. Yeah, Scott Wasson yeah. is uh, AMD Radeon. But because uh, I mean, Ryan, I can see making the shift in a corporate culture. Uh, Ken is probably having great difficulties. Kyle, on the other the hand. Oil? <laughs> yes, Kyle. Kyle made his mark as as a an independent firebrand. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he always uh, he stood up. Uh, he 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 made enemies proudly, and uh, and and stood his ground. And uh, some you know that drew a lot of controversy towards him um, from Can companies you open and carry in the Intel offices. <laughs> I I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in the Texas branch. I think he's going to find out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he is going on. Uh, what's his uh, his his title here? Is effective he's April the 1st. director of enthusiast engagement, which sounds yes. totally like a real job. Well, I mean, who knows with what you know? Intel snapping up all these media people. Um, not us, unfortunately. And you know what? People <laughs> pay millions of dollars to influencers. Hmm. True. And so Kyle at, you know, a six figures is probably a bargain for these people who look at Twitter and YouTube and, you know, the influencer Instagram type circles. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, and I get what he's, and um, his parents didn't pay for him to go to a higher education thing where everybody then gets we mad know at of. him and pulls, you know, his endorsements. And add revenue. Oh, oh yeah, I I didn't know what you're referring to initially there, but yeah, and now you do. Yeah, anyway. I, actually, I should ask: Does anyone need to update their their resume? Their clarify CV? Yeah. clarify any credentials? No, okay. I I got in without my parents' help, and I was actually a member of the Boston University crew team, and I actually rode, so I wasn't just you know a crew team recruit. Yes, I, but were you, but were you making YouTube videos? No, you weren't. Mm. There, there was no YouTube in 1990. Hey, hey, hey! Don't there, there were some MySpace videos, but they were recently lost. Yes, that's true too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, you know, Kyle explains it here that uh, you know he he doesn't. He was trying to think about how can he from this point on. It, it, this industry is really tough. It's changing. It's everything's everything's changing. YouTube is a, a competitor. It's a different style over there. Um, how can he? continue to fulfill you know his mission of being a being a a, a, what's the word i'm looking for a uh, a champion for the enthusiasts and you know what he and what others have in response to this have said is you know with him and others like ryan and, and stuff going they can they can finally tell intel what the enthusiast community wants because intel hasn't gotten it right in recent years they've either missed the mark in terms of performance to price or they're they're investing in the wrong areas or they're they're not, you know, they 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 sat on their laurels too long and let AMD catch up, and now, which is good, I think. But uh, you know, now now Intel is is uh, st- struggling to catch up, so to speak. Um, you know, so having guys like this there to tell them what we actually want as enthusiasts is good. On the other hand, it's troubling. It's, it's I mean, at first it was kind of funny as we saw name after name fall. Uh, it's becoming 
a little disturbing because you don't want you don't want uh, you don't want to have a company just buy the press, right? And and obviously they have a long way to go. There's still a lot of voices out there that are independent, but it it is uh, it's interesting to see so many respected veteran people now on the Intel payroll. Uh, and and it's I don't want to be unfair, but when that happens, they lose their objectivity because that's what it is. You know, Correct. you can't you can't. But uh, I would I like lo- to be objectified. Well, <laughs> sure. And and I love Ryan and Kyle and everyone who's gone, you know, and and they're and I don't think they're being dishonest. I think that they're doing it earnestly, but uh you you they're not going you know, if Intel makes a makes a mistake, they're not allowed to call it out whether they want to or not. That's just not how the deal works. It's it's a they're part of a company now. They're paid by that company. They're beholden to that by their contracts and employment agreements and uh it's just it's it's unfortunate to 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 lose that, and and the, the hope though is that they make up for it. That the bet the contributions they can make to directing Intel and to helping Intel understand its users and where they should take the company, uh, that that benefit outweighs their loss to this community. So, uh, wish him the best. Thank him for years, decades of work and and uh, contributions to the enthusiast community and. Um, this is a big change for him, just like it was for for our crew that left. And uh, just as we did with our crew, we wish wish Kyle all the best and uh, hope that uh, hope he brings a lot of that spunk to Intel and get some get some moving in the right direction. So, the thing to me is, if basically, if you look at it from the outside, you think, well, Intel is just hiring away these. Like between Ryan and Kyle alone, they got like 40 years in the industry of independent reviews and the ability to be critical, the ability to have enough influence. You know, Kyle and Ryan had quite a bit of influence and they could have a pretty substantial reader base and their their voice could be heard. And but if you look at it from the other perspective, they're offered a job where, you know, they, they have problems with. The corporate culture, they have problems with the company. The company comes to them and says, what do you have a problem with? And you can have an open dialogue with them, be as critical as you would like in the interview process. And then they say, what would you do if you worked here? And then you can lay out all of these ideas and they're like, all right, well, we want to hire you to do that. It sounds great. It's only going to last for as long as their immediate upline is okay with this. Like your job is only as good as your boss. Oh, God, yeah. And so if it sounds great right now. And they're creating job titles for press. Like this, this uh, title that Kyle has acquired is probably created just for him, and it was part of the negotiation process of like we'd like to bring you on board. We think this would be great for the for Intel, and you speak for the community. You can be a community champion. We want you to interact with people. He talked about boots on the ground, like going to shows, talking to people about what their needs are. Intel is not doing this out of uh, like kindness, they're doing this because they're launching a new discrete graphics product soon, and they want people who can speak to the enthusiast sector because they want enthusiasts on board with this. It's an untapped market for them right now. They're integrated graphics with their new IGP. and they make a lot of money. On- yeah, so <laughs> they've got Gen 11 graphics coming, that's something, but dedicated graphics are the enthusiast side. And that's what Kyle represents. So as long as they let him do his thing, 
it'll be good for him. And at some point it may sour and he may, he may leave, but we will see. Yep. And, uh, I, I well, and Intel we... doesn't have a history of uh, turnovers in vast majority your vast numbers. The, 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 the tech sector in general, I think that applies to, but um, hmm. just, I don't think we were, we were clear. Uh, so uh, he is, uh, as part of his departure, unlike what happened here at PC Per, uh, he decided he, he didn't have a team in place that he wanted to hand it to. So he's ceasing new content. I believe the site's going to like be archived, so it'll, it'll remain there. But Hard OCP will not publish any new editorial content. And then the forums will continue on, uh, funded through their Patreon program, basically, just to pay the server costs and stuff. So uh, so uh, uh, the forums, thankfully, will stay, at least for, for now. And... Uh, a loss uh, in the sense that we won't get any new content there, uh, editorial content, reviews and such. And subscribers to our mailing list will be able to download a new hosts file, which will direct hard OCP back to us. <laughs> sure. Sure. No, that's a, just a joke. Just a joke. Um, but Hey, yeah, if you were a hard uh, OCP uh, regular visitor, uh, we're still here. We're still kicking. Oh. Intel hasn't hired me, which, uh, they wouldn't. I'm not nearly as qualified or as experienced. But I would totally sell out for a billion dollars, just so we're all on the same page. Or even yeah. less. No. To anyone. Yeah. It doesn't have to be Intel. Yes, anyone. Um, Summer's Eve. Jim, would you sell out right now for $5 million? $5 million? To which company? Yes, $5 million. Uh, Any company. Not yeah. to any company. Really? To, I mean, Monsanto published a race here. C Media somehow offer. came up with five million dollars to buy you, you would say no. Well, not to C Media. I don't care any any company. Dude, uh, if somebody came out to me and said, "Josh, sell out for a million dollars," you'd be like, "All right." Yeah, Welcome I guess. To Ashley Madison. But I mean, there's they're gonna, there's going to be yeah. a high tax rate on that initially, and then I've got to. Ah, uh, right, after taxes. Well, you drive a hard bargain, Jim. What if I offered you $5 million after taxes? Five billion? Mm. Five million, not million. Billion. Okay, million. after taxes, yeah, I guess so. And all you have to do you is be a on five company. Million for the love of... Yeah, God. just be smart. And all you have to do is go around and be a brand ambassador. But for you know? what? An influencer. For a company. For summer to you. Yeah, an influencer. Like, would it, would it be... Uh, Here, here's what you have to do, That's, Jim. You take... You take revealing pictures of yourself and post them to Instagram, but in the text mention like, "Oh, I I, I love the way my house smells today with my Glade air freshener." But I already do that. Yeah. Oh, okay. don't I haven't admit, been don't yet. knock his hobbies. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, all right, we all well, got that's... a price, but there's very few people who are going to pay it. Yes, and so we're here, being that's moral, right. ethical individuals. Sort of. Because nobody has met our price. Right. Because we don't have a choice, right? Because nobody has offered us a price. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's, those are the rest of the news items. Let's, uh, jump into the picks of the week. Uh, so, Jeremy, I think you're up first. Uh, I forgot a pick because I am, I was dealing with that Uh, webcam issue. So, Threadripper. Threadripper is my pick. Threadripper 19. Yeah. uh, yeah. Stupid good deals on them. So, uh, so my pick is the uh, Threadripper, uh, the 1900, uh, 1900X and the 1920, I'm told. 
which the 1900 is the uh, eight core 16 thread the, from the initial first gen Threadripper. And that is going right now on Amazon for $309.99. Uh, so quite a deal there. And the 1920 is only about $50 more, $356.08. Hard to argue with those prices. Uh, obviously, a board is still going to cost a lot of money, but about that now much your total money, yeah. investment. Yeah. So once you spend about uh, 275 oh, don't forget like the DDR4. Yeah, well, you got to have I mean, the DDR and fast DDR4, ideally. Yeah, it's it's still going to break a grand, but it's yeah. it's fun. It, it truly is. The, these things are a lot of fun. They got personality. And a lot they of do. processing power. They do. So then now, uh, uh, thanks to the thanks to you guys for that recommendation. And uh, Jeremy, you have uh, a pick as well. Oh God, yeah. Uh, this is Rogue Tech, which is not quite a complete conversion of the Battle Tech that Hairbrain Schemes put out. That we're slowly waiting for them to come up with uh, new expansions for. This is the old school freaking hard on tabletop version. There is something like 1,200 freaking mechs. There are hundreds of vehicles. There's even those bastards in power armor that everyone loves to hate as they crawl over your mech and start tearing stuff off. Every single type of weapon from the tabletop. Uh, I mentioned the LBX autocannons in there. Uh, but they've also got the, the Artemis targeting systems. Uh, the Long Tom is now available again. And just to make it even more fun, you can get cheaper, higher damage pirate stuff that, you know, it might kill the opponent or it might blow up and kill you because, well, that's just the way pirates roll. It's a lot of fun. It is stupidly hard. Uh, it's no longer just a matter of taking out a center torso because that center torso has a really tough engine in it. Uh, if you're really lucky, it's an IC engine, but chances are it's probably not. Uh, I haven't seen one, but apparently there's the, the nuclear urban mech kicking around somewhere. So don't shoot that one from close distance. It, it's, it, it's utterly insane. Y you jump into it uh, in career mode as opposed to story mode. And the person behind this, uh, who I should probably mention lady some thing i want to say arcadie but that's absolutely wrong uh but there there's now like a persistent online world that you can join in it's not that you're doing multiplayer it's just that as you're doing missions planets change hands between the factions and all of a sudden uh lady aleko is the, the person behind this and it, it's just stupidly good there's a full installation uh set you've got to jump back to Battletech 1.4 as opposed to 1.5, but it's free and it's just, if you geeked out on the Battletech game, this is almost the whole expanded version where, you know, you, you had to roll dice just to figure out if your pilot could find the joystick, let alone shoot something. It's a lot of fun. Give it a shot if you like Battletech. And yeah, there, there are cattle masters. So, uh, yeah, if you watched, uh, what was it, Love, Death, and Robots that came out recently on Netflix, and you really liked that episode where the mechs were fighting back the alien invasions to save their cows, well, yeah, you can drive that mech. I wouldn't. It's crap, but you can. All right, good pick. And uh, Josh, you're up next. 
Me? <clears throat> uh, you know, you want a fast game drive that's not spinning rust? The Intel 660P has gone down significantly in price. Now, this is the Amazon cost. It's two twenty five fifty three, But for a 2-terabyte drive that does 1,800 megabytes per second writes and reads, that's pretty good. And Newegg, they had the special on today, if you were their eBlast member, for $199. So, $0.10 cents a gigabyte. If Finally. Want, yeah, if you want a relatively fast, non-spinning rust gaming drive, this is an excellent idea. Sure, just use a regular SSD for your OS drive, but if you want a good, fast gaming drive that's large, that can host all of your Steam games, because you know, a 500 to 512 gig drive you've got now maybe six or seven games on there that you may actually play. That would be like, you know, Far Cry 5 is 70 gigs in size. Yeah, yeah. In fact, a little bit more. And then you start thinking like Destiny 2 and Anthem, Battlefield 5 for those people who play it. And and, and all these, I mean, it, it fills it up fast. Two terabytes will give you a lot of games you can bounce around with without mixing and matching. So it's fast. It's nice. That's hard to pass up at that price at this time. Yeah, I uh, I just had to buy a bunch of M.2s because I'm about to review a QNAP NAS that uses exclusively M.2 storage. And I was buying SATA. It's SATA M.2. SATA M.2 drives are more expensive than this. Oof, that's nuts. That's a that's a. Good I'm just game. trying to picture the NAS that's just using M.2s. That it's how small uh, is that? Must NAS? look a bit like an old uh, tricking portable hard drive. It's it's in a box, so it's not easily accessible right now. But uh, you'll see it soon. It's it's a it's a tiny little box that uses four. Yeah, of them, but it's got built-in 10 gigabit Ethernet and uh, HDMI. It uses a Celeron processor with hardware transcoding. It's a nice little box, so uh, we'll, we'll be talking about that more. But mm. but I over damn it overpaid for storage. No, damn. Well, damn. Well. <laughs> we'll hear more about well, you know, on the plus side. Alex Jolis. What, what was that, Jeremy? He's uh, not going to repeat it. Oh, we're going to okay, hear I'm more about your tight little box next week. Oh, oh, that oh. Alan's jealous about. Oh, Alice, okay. probably, yeah. Alice, uh, Alice, Alan probably wants Alan. to get into it. Uh. Yeah, I mean, he's more of a roll-your-own kind of guy. So his basement is just like a table with a bunch of just bare drives sitting on it with the cables running to them. Uh, Does he spin them on poles? No, not not as far as he showed me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. (laughs) uh, He keeps talking about putting them all in this big array he was going to build, except it never, at least as of the last time I saw, it had not come come to pass but uh i've never seen an array speaking, hit critical mass before uh but uh sebastian you've got the last pick here it's uh something that's meaningful to your life i guess very much anybody who tests games uh ocat is basically the open alternative to fcat and it, we based it's using presentmon it captures game information it's a an alternative to fraps basically a, a modern alternative to fraps 
But Fraps obviously does a lot of different things. This doesn't record gameplay or anything. This simply presents an overlay and captures game data. It presents it in very, very easy to parse, very easy to analyze files that you can access afterwards and make your graphs and get information about the gameplay. But they've added some things with version 1.4, which just came out, which include a a tone that lets you know that the capture is actually started. There are certain games that don't allow their overlay, so you cannot tell if it started capturing anything or not. You're just guessing, hoping that when you press your hotkey that it's actually doing something. And then the many times where it didn't actually work, having to go back and try to figure out why there's no data output. And so that that's eliminated. If, I, if you don't hear a tone, it didn't work. And then they're adding 95, 95th percentile performance data in the summaries that get dumped. So that's nice because it had previously been uh, average frame time, 99th percentile frame time. And then if you wanted to get any additional frame time data, you had to create your own formulas and access that data from the file. And now it's going to present that as well. So that's it's going to be even better than it already was. Most games work with OCAT. Uh, I've had a lot of trouble with Ubisoft games, but hopefully I can get that working with this new version. And just check it out. It's free. I mean, OCAT is the open source capture and analytics tool for games. You're well, going to have to wait for UCAT to come out for the Ubisoft games. Well, the oh, Ubisoft- one other thing, actually, I saw Scott. Uh, sorry, Scott Watson had posted. I saw on Twitter earlier because I've not, I've not downloaded and installed this at all. I saw this earlier today, but Scott said that it's also doing the um, frame color bars the same way as FCAT. Yes. So this is basically your and not your only that, but when it's not even being presented, it will have audio cues that it's recording. Yes, I'm a big fan. And uh, Ubisoft, uh, Ubisoft games you don't have to worry about because those will soon be exclusively served up via Stadia. And uh, no, brother, <laughs> it just whatever you you don't have a choice. It runs how it runs, and that's that's all there is to it. Do you think Google's infrastructure is robust enough? Is if there's a server in Michigan close enough to me that there's low enough latency? But did they have enough infrastructure out there for Google Plus? That's what I want to know. Is is this just like, hey, we already had a little server farm. Let's just upgrade these blades to this new Vega 56 uh, Intel custom SOC thing with its 16 well, gigabytes of shared memory. Yeah. They, they were, they, there was one of those shipping containers going through, uh, what is that, Lake Superior up by you? Uh, and it sank, so it's now fully water-cooled and ready for you to use. <laughs> oh, perfect. I wonder, Lake Michigan presents a lot of uh, attractive options for a uh, completely submerged uh, server farm. They could probably use some, like, retired submarines. Although, how are you going to get a submarine to Lake Michigan? I haven't really thought this through. We're out through the St. Larry. It'll it. fit. Okay. Build, or build it on site. It's the best option. Just put it on a barge. Just a barge of servers floating around. Although I mean, and I know you were joking, but I do I do worry about Google server capacity with some of this stuff because if this does move to the, if this takes off and this becomes the primary gaming platform for most companies, I mean, people today complain just about having online connected games on like launch weekend. The server you can't connect or it keeps crashing. With this, it's going to be like 
hey, sorry, there's no server space. You're 25th, you know, you're, you're number 2,536 in line. Uh, stand by. Average wait time is three hours. And, and they're certainly going to be able to spin up instances as necessary, but they don't have infinite computing power. And if these are really high-end 8K games, uh, there will be limits. So. Oh, well, now 8K? Jim, come on. Streaming hey, 8K they, games. They said they're building it for the future. They can go 1080p. Uh, Radeon, Radeon Vegas 56 is, is very good. It's a very, very solid 1440p option. It is not well, an 8K option. They, uh, as of today, they, they claim that each instance will have the compute capability of, what was it, 10.7 teraflops? Yeah, I saw that. So they're, they're, this is going to be optimized in the way that like a PlayStation 4 is optimized. So yeah. it's, it's going to punch above its weight when you actually look at the architecture and the fact that all of the system memory is that HBM2. Yep. So, and it runs on Linux. For the three to five years that so, it lasts. Yeah. Well, Google doesn't have a history of pulling the plug on products. So Not at God, all. No. no. I say invest all your money in Stadia. Mm-hmm. However, they let you. Also, do it. what's with the name? Come on, Stadia. Well, it's like the they there were several images in the presentation of like the the gladiatorial combat in the stadium yeah. and uh, why and, not call it Stadium? Google Stadium because that there's, they wanted a, because there's, there's more than a one trademark thing or I don't know. Facebook has Stadium as a uh, <clears throat> sporting event channel. Oh, oh, oh do okay. they? Yeah, no, I didn't know. Facebook Stadium. Yeah, well, there you go. Oh, and uh, uh, I guess we didn't mention initially, though, uh, it was the big su- a surprise to me, at least, uh, was Jade Raymond showed up because uh, she had left uh, a while ago, may- maybe six to eight months ago. And uh, uh, she said she was working on a secret project, going to some big secret thing. And so this was it, apparently. She's taking over the uh, hmm. their their studio, their publishing studio. Or as, as or I don't know, I can't remember what her title is, but she's part of basically Google now becoming a publishing player as well. So she's director of uh, community engagement. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I'm just that's yeah. that's what Kyle's title is. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So. Wasn't that Ryan's title? That's the, no, he's that's the, chief performance that's, that's analyst. The, strategist. Strategist. Or strategist. That's, he was an analyst. Now he's a strategist. Come on. Go, all right. Go, go ahead, Josh. Go ahead. We're done, right? We are done. Take off. This is, it. This, is this is the. Oh, thank the Lord. These yep. things have been getting long. I mean, not they that, have been. you know, I don't approve. Oh, no, we're so back long, to the two but, hour uh, ones. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's killing me in my bladder. All right. Well, I, uh, we'll get you a bucket for the future okay. shows. And uh, little, thanks uh, everyone for. Catheter. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Make That's sure to let the dog out. But uh, thanks everyone for watching. That's this has been episode 357 of the podcast, uh, the PC Perspective podcast. We're glad you could join us. I hope everyone has a great week. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.